0: It's good to see you. It's great to have you guys uh, join us together. I'm speaking a little bit to the different campuses. It's great to have you guys join us. Awesome to be back here in Elgin, and I'm looking forward to studying God's Word with you. So look, I need you to turn your Bibles to Matthew 25, Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. While you're turning there, I just wanted to pray kind of quickly. Uh, You know, sometimes these long holiday weekends kind of... Uh, just become opportunities for us to go on vacation, you know, or uh, spend time in the city or do something like that. We stop. We don't stop to realize what exactly they are. I learned this year, 50th year of my life, I learned this year that uh, Veterans Day in the United States is a celebration of all those who are currently serving in the military and then uh, Memorial Day is a celebration or a remembrance, basically, of all those who have, who have given their lives for the sake of freedom. So I wanted to spend just a couple of minutes just thanking God for uh, our country and certainly thanking God for all of his providence uh, even today. And ultimately, I want to ask him to do away with war altogether. So let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm standing here on a platform in front of a bunch of people, and nobody wants to come and arrest me today, I don't think. And Lord, I, I, um, nobody's gonna stand outside the doors and hold me accountable for saying things that the government doesn't like. Uh, we live in a place, Lord, that um, by your providence has a constitution and uh, has institutions, Father. And I know that they get stretched here and there, Lord, but ultimately, uh, we're just thankful. For the blessings you've reigned upon us, we are not the only country in the world, Father, that has these blessings. But we, as Americans, we 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 feel uniquely blessed by uh, our history and all that's gone on. And those, especially Lord, who have um, who've had to fight to defend it, Lord, look. None of us want war. None of us want any kind of um, heartache or pain or bullets flying or anything. None of us want any of that. But we live in such a fallen world, Lord, that sometimes those things happen and. And, and good men need to stand up to, to defend uh, those who are in, in harm's way. And so I'm thankful, Father, for all those who've gone before and done that. I do pray for their families today. So they remember all that uh, their sons especially meant to them. Uh, I pray, Father, that they would feel the, the love from a thankful nation. I also pray, uh, Lord, ultimately that... Um, You would turn the eyes of our country to a day where there will be no war. We are trying our very hardest, it seems, Father. Everybody's got policy proposals to make about how it is that we can or can't uh, avoid war. And it's in the word of God that our Jesus is is the king, and he will put all the governments on his shoulders, and that ultimately he will bring peace and prosperity and joy and In the new heavens, new earth. So, Father, I pray that our attention today would be on that day and that we would point our friends and neighbors to the answer to the world's crises and pain and wars. So, it's uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Help us to study your word faithfully now. Fill us with your spirit. Grant us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have to say to your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you ever uh, noticed that when somebody tells a story, uh, they deliberately organize those stories in ways that serve their goals. Uh, a lot of times when when we think, okay, so I'm going to write a, bio- you're going to write a biography about Jeff Bucknam, which is a good idea, you should, it'll sell, big. So. Um, you're going to write a biography about Jeff Bucknum. There are different ways that you can go about writing the biography. You can, you can do it chronologically, right? Uh, he was born in Boston, Massachusetts, and the stars sang for joy, right? So you're born there, and then you can go through the times where I lived and how I moved when I was two years old to Seattle, and then eventually to overseas. You can do all of that in order. In fact, a lot of times when we read biographies, that's kind of what we want to see. But you could also do it... Uh, Topically, you could talk about the different things that are true about me. Um, handsome, you could say, look at these are the different you know, but do you know what I mean? Like there's certain character traits or something you might point out and say, Well, here's four stories that illustrate this particular character trait, and then we're gonna move on to a different character trait. And they might come from times when I'm two years old or eight years old or you know, fifty years old, or whatever, and, and th- but that would still be a faithful retelling. Of my life, it's just you organized it a, a little bit differently. You might actually create a foil. Foils are great. Then, in other words, if I want to highlight the excellence of one character in my story, okay, then I create a, another character who's wicked and evil, right? So, you know, J- Jeff Bucknam is amazing and fantastic, and we're going to show you how amazing and fantastic he is by comparing him to—I dare not say, right? But Comparing him to whomever doesn't have those character traits. And so, and so that's one way you can tell a story. And sometimes when you're telling a story, you, you, you put all of those things together. Now, I'm telling you all of this because when you come to the Bible, especially to the Gospels of Jesus, first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you need to understand that these Gospel writers, they actually didn't tell the story in chronological order necessarily oftentimes they did tell it in somewhat chronological order, but they would sometimes cluster stories all together to make a a point. So they teach you doctrine, theology, what you should believe by Listing stories together. They don't just come out and say, here's, here's the facts. You should believe in this doctrine. They, they tell you stories about doctrines all together, and they b- might build on each other. I'm telling you all this because this passage in Matthew 25 that we're going to study in the next few minutes sits in the middle of four stories that build on each other, all of them talking about the return of Jesus. They're trying to answer the question, what should we be doing while we wait for his return? What will it look like when he does return? What kinds of things matter. And so you have these really interesting stories They go in f- order. Uh, the, the first one is the parable of what we call the wicked servant, wick, serve. The parable of the wicked servant is... Uh, So it's going to be like, the return of Jesus is going to be like, uh, you know, a, 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 a landowner goes away, and he's gone for a long time, and the servant he leaves behind is a real jerk, and so he decides that because the landowner's gone and there are no rules, he's just going to beat up on everybody who he doesn't like, right? So like your boss is the wicked servant, but there's going to be a day when the landowner comes back and he's going to hold that servant to account. And the point with this one is that there's going to be a return, okay? Be sure of it, there's going to be, there's going to be a return. The second one is the, um, the unprepared, unprep be-maids, bridesmaids, Now, in those days, the way that you did a wedding was if uh, I was going to marry my dear genie, uh, I would leave my house in the same village. You married people from the same village, right? And so uh, I would leave my house, and I would walk through the streets, and people would be announcing in front of me the, the wedding procession. And as I went by your house, you would join the procession, okay? You'd come out. And you'd hug and we'd sing and we'd dance. And I wouldn't go straight from my house, you know, I wouldn't Google it and just go the short route. We would go the circuitous route, you know, like the one they draw when they're doing the marathon, okay? In and out of the streets so you can go by almost every house. They did this at night. So what would happen is if the bride was waiting for her groom, by the way, once you get to the groom, or once you get to the bride's house, you come, you, you get her, and you bring her back to the groom's house, okay? So a long way, and then you take the Google route back. So while the bride is waiting, you're not sure how long it's going to take, right? Because your town might be kind of big. Or there might be lots and lots of people who come out, and you can never tell what a crowd's going to do. Maybe they're singing and dancing a little too much, or I don't... There's lots of different things that can go wrong. And so these bridesmaids, their job was to hold these lanterns, and their lanterns had to have enough oil in them to last until the, the groom came for his bride. Well, in this story, these bridesmaids are all ready, but it, the groom has taken forever to come, and so they fall asleep. And five of the bridesmaids out of the ten, when then they wake up and the groom is there, they have enough oil in their lamps to keep it burning, but the other five didn't prepare so they're like, give us some of your oil <laughs> to, the, to the ones who have it. And they're like, no, we won't have enough. You go go to the shop right now. And so they take off to the shop. But by the time they get back, they're back at the groom's house and the door is shut. The moral to the story is he's going to return. You better be ready. Right? And then the third one is this one that we're going to study today. It's the parable of the talents. And the question about the parable of the talents is basically about another landowner who gets three guys and he gives them, as you're gonna see, he gives them different responsibilities and he goes off and he comes back, he holds them to account. And the point of this parable ultimately is, uh, what do we do while we're waiting? What do? What do we do while we're waiting? Do we sit there passively with our lamps? Oh, I wish he'd get here. Between, in other words, between the time when we're living right now to the moment when Jesus returns, what should mark our lives? What kind of values ought we have? What concerns enter? the parable of the talents. So look, here's what I wanna do. I actually want to uh, tell this story and then I wanna just give you three reflections at the end. I'm just gonna tell the whole story as we go. We're gonna read it together, give you a little bit of the background. It's a really fun little story. So here's the beginning of it, Matthew chapter 25. For it will be like a man, uh, the return of Jesus, okay? It will be like a, a man, Going on a journey, this man is not any normal man, as you'll see. He's a rich guy, okay? In fact, he has so much money, he is able to go on a long journey. Uh, Normal people in those days weren't able to go on long journeys. I know that we do these days because Spirit Airlines exists, and so you can, you know, if you're willing to sit in a sardine can, you can get to, to Cancun. But in those days, the only people who went on long journeys were wealthy people, and when they went, okay, when they went, they had to take everything with them. So you gotta think a massive caravan, like packing for this event would be huge. Huge. Some of you ladies would fit very well with this event. My wife, she'd be like, great, I do this already. Well we have to four cars carrying her luggage as we get to the airport. So you've got this massive caravan, you've gotta make long plans, it takes a long time to get places. You don't have a car or a train, you might have a horse or some sort of animal that you're able to ride, but you're only able to get what, 15, 20 miles a day, maybe? You gotta stop, because there's lots of people with you and servants and all sorts of stuff. And so when it says it's gonna be a man going on a, on a journey, you, you need to know that it, this journey is probably gonna take a long time, it's gonna be treacherous, Some guys don't come back from this, because if you're Robin Hood, uh, who are you going to rob? The guy who's sitting in his house, or the guy who took all of his stuff out onto the dangerous road? Dangerous road, yeah. You guys would stink at being Robin Hood, because you didn't answer that. For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants, this word actually in the original language here is slaves. Slaves. Those of you who are new to the Bible, the New Testament was written in Greek, and so sometimes the translations are a little different. So this word means slaves. They they are his slaves. Slavery in that time uh, was not like what we think about slavery. It's not like race-based. Usually the way people became slaves in that time is that they they defaulted on their their borrowing. So if uh, I owe you a certain amount of money... And I'm unable to pay it because of a series of, you know, inconveniences or I made some bad, I decided to invest in Netflix or whatever. So I, and everything fell apart. I owe you all this money. I, you're going to say to me at this point, well, since you don't have it, I'm going to put you in the dishwashing pit, right? You're going to work it off. You're going to be my slave for the next period of time. Now. I'm a remarkably gifted person. So you're not gonna want me just in, I'm kidding, by the way. You don't want me just in the dishwashing pit. Let's imagine that I'm really good with numbers, which I'm not, but imagine I'm an accountant or something like that. You're gonna be like, man, this is not a good idea to put him in the dishwashing pit. I should put him in charge of my stuff. So remember the story in the Old Testament of Joseph? He gets into this guy's Potiphar's house and all of a sudden he's in charge of everything. Well, that's because Joseph's a really, really, like he's a really gifted guy. So this is an era where you have a lot of very skilled slaves, people who have real talent. And the only reason that they're in your household is because they had a, some misfortunes, right? Think Andy Dufresne. No? some Okay, Shawshank Redemption. It's a good movie. You should watch it. Okay. He called his servants... Gifted guys, and he entrusted to them his property. Yeah, they 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 should be pretty pretty responsible and capable. He's they've got his property, but to one he gave uh, five talents. This is a measurement. When it says talents, it's not like he was really good at basketball. It's five talents means uh, a talent was was a, a measure of weight that was equivalent to about. 6,000 denarii, denarii was their dollars, 6,000 denarii. One denarii is how much you'd make if you worked a day. So the amount he's giving here, one talent is worth 6,000 days wages. So in your mind, do the math, whatever you get paid in a day, okay, multiplied by 6,000. A lot of money. Especially in those days, oh my goodness! Let's call it a million bucks. It's more, but let's just call it a million bucks. So one of the guys he gives he gives five million bucks to to another. He gives uh, two million, and to another he gives one million. Why is the difference? Well, he, they're each according to his ability. Some of them are really good, and the other they are still good, but they're not as good as the really good guy. So what are they supposed to do with it? Well. There it is, when he gave five talents, uh, each according ability, and then he went away. He would receive the five talents, the $5 million, he went at once, right? So he's excited. He gets the money, and he's supposed to, his job is to double the master's money, or at least invest the master's money. It's not his money. He doesn't get the money and go, cool, I'm buying a new car for myself. That's not his approach here. Because he knows it's the master's money and his job is to further the master's interest with the master's money. So he gets it and at once, right, it's not even a second goes by, he's like, ooh, how can I invest? And immediately he starts to run away and, and, he, and he trades with them and, and he's pretty capable so he makes $5 million more. Whoo! Woo! I would like this guy to run my finances, right? Here's $100, and in a day, here's 200, okay? That's Nancy Pelosi, no, just kidding, that's a joke, right? So, <laughs> I the joke, come on, anyway, made five talents more. Also, he who had the, the two talents, he, he made two talents more. Same thing, he, he, he went at once, and he made two talents more. These two guys are right into it. They've taken what they've got and they've doubled it. But, he would receive the, the one talent. He's a one million dollar man here. He went and he, and he dug in the ground and, and he hid his master's money. Now, if you've looked at the stock market recently, you're like, oh, it's probably a pretty good idea, right? In those days, it was actually a really good idea. We live in a day where fi- finances are uh, pretty safe. In those days, they were not. Uh, sometimes the best thing you could do with your money was to put it under, the, under your mattress, right? You, you, would, you would go and you'd find you know, your little treasure map and you'd say it's gonna be X marks the spot and you dig down there and you, you know, plant daisies over the top. Now you know where your money is because this is where the daisies are common, it's a safe move. Big time, safe move. Reading this right here, I mean, some of you guys have read this passage so many times. Reading this at this point, please don't make any judgments about the guy. He's doing something very normal. I mean, he's not as good as the other two guys, but he's doing something very normal. A lot of people would be like, well, that's a good move, right? It's a good move. It's going to be kept nice and safe. Because who knows, the five-talent guy and the two-talent guy, they might lose the talents they gained What's really interesting about this, though, is you got the comparison, right, between these five-talent guy and the two-talent guy and the one-talent guy. you got the five and two are like, ooh, let's go and do something with it. They're super excited. And then one-talent guy is standing there, and he's like, oh, great. And so, oh, I know a place in my backyard I can do it. You ever uh, been a part of maybe a, 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 a team, uh, team-building event at your workplace? And there's always the people at your team-building event at your workplace who are really keen on the game like, oh, okay, let's go do this. And then most of the time, people like me are like, oh, no, this is horrible. See, because when you do it as a church, there's never a winner because it's a church game. Church games never have a winner. It's like, hey, the game won today. Jesus won today. So, <laughs> so they get all excited, and they run off, and you get people on your team, oh, we got to do it. And I'm always the guy who's like, when's lunch? This is, exa- this is pretty much what that is. You've got these guys who are really keen about it and really excited about it, and then you've got the one talent guy, Jeff, in the back. (sighs) I can't believe I have to do this. After a long time. So uh, you, you need to know that there is a significant gap of time between the last verses and what's going to be said next. I don't know how long... Usually, when a master was gone for a long period of time, like I said before, the assumption was that Robin Hood got him. He's dead on the side of the road. Because remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Guy's traveling up and he gets beaten up? Common. Very, very, very common to get beaten up on the side of the road. You know what draws all the people who want to beat you up? A caravan full of your stuff. So there's a good chance that this guy is never going to return. If he never returns, the money is probably going to go to the slaves. Nobody's going to actually hold. The reason he gave it to them was because he probably didn't have any heirs anyway. And so here, it's going to be theirs. So the one-talent guy, he hid his money, and there's a pretty good chance here that he might not remember. I mean, other daisies have grown up. And he's like, I'm kind of in that general area. But after a long time... The master of those servants, he came and he settled accounts with them. He's in his office, burgundy chair, cherry wood cabinet, and all three of them walk in, lined up. Right, he pulls out his you know big pad, pulls out his pen, five talent. Well, he received the five talents. He, he came forward and he, he brought five talents more. And he said uh, to the master, You've delivered me five talents here. I, I've made you five more. Probably with a smile on his face, right? He's pretty excited about the fact that I've been able to return this to you, plus doubled. And his master said to him, Yeah, that a boy. Well done, good, and notice what he calls him. You're a faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I I, I will set you over much. In other words, I gave you some, right? I gave you some, you used it for my purposes, and you've got now some in return. What is it supposed to be used for? What you're gonna get in return? To give. So you're giving to get, to give, to get, to give, to get, that sounds like a sermon I preached recently, but you should remember it, okay? You've been faithful over a little, I'll put you... Over much. Enter the joy of your master. He's the joy is probably, hey, I want you to share in my banquet. I want you to be a part of my family. I want you to sit at my table. I want you to experience all the blessings that are mine, all the wealth, all the stuff, all of it. I want it to be with you and you with me. Well done indeed. And he also, who had the the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here. I have made two talents more. It's exact same language. The only difference is the number two and the number five. And he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So the two guys are standing over in the corner, you know, they have, there's a pile of money bags. Always think it's the Scrooge McDuck, you know. All the money bags on the table there. Seven of them, in addition to the seven that had already been given, covering the debt. But there's one more to go. He would receive the one talent, our $1 million man. He came forward, and here's what he said. Master started the same way. Master, I knew you to be a hard man. What I mean, master, is uh, you reap where you don't sow and you gather where you scatter no seed. Uh, You seem to have a knack of producing something out of nothing. You are the best businessman I know. And I know you well enough to know that your standard for what you expect me to do is way up here, like akin to what you would do. And there is no way that I am ever going to meet that standard. I don't care how long I work, I'm not going to be able to meet your standard. So, I was afraid. You scare me. Master, I'm triggered, master. So I went and and I hid your talent in in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. Here's a picture of this, right? I mean, you can imagine the guy. Where is it? It was under one of these daisies here. So he picks it up. He digs it up. There it is. It's a bag. It's covered with dirt and a couple daisies. And he brings it in and he says, here's what's yours. Plunk. With a daisy on top. See, I didn't lose any of it, man. And basically, it's your fault that I didn't invest it because you're such a hard guy. So, not my fault. Um, But his master answered him I'm so sorry I'm a hard man. I feel bad for you that you work for me. No, no, no. uh, You're a wicked and slothful servant. Dude, you're lazy. That's the issue. The issue is not me. The issue is the fact that you're lazy. The issue is the fact that you didn't want to put the work in with what it is that you had. You wanted to go and watch the football because it's easier just to bury the stupid thing in the ground, leave it there, and just do nothing with it. Just sit on it and act like I don't even exist. That's, that's what you did. You knew that I reap where I've not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Like, you knew that I'm industrious and profitable. Well, why didn't you? You ought to have invested my money with the bankers at least. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. I don't want the daisy. I want you to have made something out of what I gave you. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take the million dollar from him and we're gonna give it to him who has has the 10 now. For to everyone who has, more will be given. So you give to get to give to get to give to get to give. And he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And I want you to cast this worthless servant into the outer darkness. I want you to put him out away from the home. Instead of sitting at my table, I want him to get out of the house. I want him to get outside the wall of the city. I want you to put him out all alone. And in that place, there's going to be weeping, mourning, and gnashing of teeth, regret. Oh, I can't believe I did this. What a great little story, right? And you have to ask yourself the question, all right, in the beginning we said, the point of the whole parable was, how should you live between the moment when Jesus, uh, the moment that we're in now, and the moment Jesus returns? And the, the answer? Profitably. But not for you. Profitably for the king. Profitably for the master. Diligent. Focused on his interests. Not sitting back on your hands, not just pretending that what you have is just not that much, but taking whatever it is you have, money, gifts, time, whatever it is you have, and doubling it for the sake of the master. That's how you're supposed to live. Well, what if I don't? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. You guys see that, right? It's not like the guy did anything like massively wicked. He was just, it was a sin of omission. It was something he didn't do. All right, so here are my three reflections. In light of all that we just saw. Number one, although it looks a long way off, the master will return to settle accounts. You and I know it looks a long way off, right? I mean, uh, it, it's pretty common for us not to think about the return of Christ every day. We, what we think about every day is we got to get the wash done, we got to get the car uh, fueled up, we got to we got to, we got to, we got to you know, get to work, get to the kids' baseball game. We gotta, that's what we think about. The immediate stuff, very rarely in any day do we think, you know, Jesus could return in a few minutes. It usually doesn't cross our mind. The only time it actually really crosses our mind is when someone like me stands up and talks about it. The church even doesn't really talk about it anymore because I don't know if you, many of you are old enough in the church to remember back in the days that when you went to church, you used to get what we call a fire and brimstone sermon. right? You're going to hell, all of you are in hell and there's a hell for hell. And you come, come back next week and I'm gonna share with you about hell. And then they, you hear it over and over again and so people got to the point where they were like, oh my gosh, this is so, like, stop. We, we understand there's a hell, there's a judgment. We understand that Jesus is going to come back and he's hold us account. We understand all of that, but man, stop trying to scare us into heaven. And so in churches now, for what we just don't talk about it anymore. We we try to talk about the love of Christ or anything like that. But I'm just got to tell you, man, that there is a lot in the New Testament about the return of Jesus. And. The reason it's shared so often is that it's supposed to be a motivation for you and me to think about how we live today. See, that day is supposed to dictate this day. So you have these passages all over the place. I'll just share a couple of them with you. If you're a pastor, one of the first things you learn in pastor school is this passage of scripture, 2 Timothy chapter four. I charge you, says Paul to his protege, Timothy. I charge you, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, which he will bring when he appears. In other words, pastor, everything you say from a pulpit to the people in your congregation one-on-one, everything you say will be measured and held to account By the one who judges the living and the dead and in light of all of that, preach the word. What if it's hard? In season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Yeah, people might not like it at the time, but man, your job is to tell the truth because God will hold you to account. And on that day, what do you want to hear him say? Weeping and gnashing of teeth, outer darkness, or what do you want him to say? You want him to say, well done? Uh, Same thing. First Thessalonians chapter five, Paul writes, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord, that's the return of Christ, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. The thieves don't announce their arrival, Like if they're good at it, they don't knock on the door. Hey, I'm here to steal everything. They show up when you don't know they're coming. Well, just same thing as the day of the Lord. It will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. Woo! Honey, I think I'm in labor. Not me. I mean, that's what I heard my wife say at one point. They come upon a pregnant woman and they'll not escape. But, but in fact, do you love that? Pregnant woman who don't escape, amen. They don't escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. You, you are all children of the light, children of the day. We're, we're, we're not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do. Let us not be passive. Let's not just be drowsy with the way that we live. But let us... Keep awake and be, and be sober, be diligent and alert and ready using all the things that we have for the purpose of the one who is returning and who will hold us to account. What we do today must be influenced by the imminent. It's the theological word, by the coming right away at any moment. Return of Christ. That day dictates this day. Uh, you, we, we live in lots of different ways where we can understand this, right? So if you're in school, you're sitting in your classroom and you're taking notes on your computer and somebody in the room says, this is gonna be on the test. That's like the first question anyone asks in any classroom, this is gonna be on the test. And the professor says, if he's smart, he says yes. The answer to that question, professors, is always yes. Right, they'll listen. If you always, yes. This is this going to be a test? Yes. Because people pay attention to what's on the test. They're trying to curate for themselves in their mind, what kinds of things do I need to focus on in this class? Can't focus on everything. Yes, you can. But you can focus on everything, so I need to know the bare minimum that I need to know in order to get the passing grade so I can get the degree and go and work at whatever. So What's on the test? Right, so in other words, you're... You're going to live in this class based upon the exam that's coming at the end. Yes, right, right. Or the language that's used, right, is the the pains of childbirth or as pregnant woman experiences birthing pains. There's a passage in Romans eight that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth. That's a great image to describe it. When you find out that you're pregnant, everything changes you start thinking maybe in the first beginning you're like oh i'm just trying to get my head around it but after a little while you start thinking only about the baby everything you do is about the baby we're going honey i need to go out and get a hose we're shopping for the baby will the baby like the hose will it be safe for the baby Everything's about the baby. And then when the closer it gets, the more it is about the baby. The more pregnant she is, the more nesting happens, and the more you have to talk about the baby, the baby, the baby, the baby. And then when the actual moment is where she's giving birth and you're sitting next to her, gentlemen, I'm going to give you a piece of advice. Here's what you should not do. You should not sit down with your yellow legal pad and say, I'd like to talk to you now about our financial future, honey. I brought our tax accountant with us here. No. There is nothing else to think about at this present moment that, but the coming of the baby. Yeah, that's, that's the approach. That's the approach. The imminent return of Christ should fill your mind. Dictate everything that you're thinking about and the nearer and nearer that it gets, you should be making decisions in your life about, what well, I don't need to do this because... Jesus is coming back. I mean, think about it, with your money, so many of us are gonna be standing there when Jesus came back with bags of money in our hands that we never used for his kingdom, we just used for us. Well done? Probably not. You have it for him, right? Because that's the second one here. The first one, although it makes... Looks a long way off. The master only turn to settle accounts. But the second reflection is: well, what we have is from the master. It's supposed to be used for his interests. There's never a moment in this entire story where the slave says to himself, "Now that I have this money, it's all mine. I'm getting out of here. I'm going to go build me a house by the river." He knows intuitively that. Listen, this is not your money. You know that you're a slave. He's the master. Therefore, he gave it to you to steward. to use for his benefit. Um, There's a phrase that I would love all of you to know. It's called practical atheism. I think actually the the Christian church today uh, has a problem with practical atheism. Here's what practical atheism is. It's not the belief that there's no God. Most of the people you talk to in the church would be like, of course I believe there's a God. That's why I'm here on a, I sing the songs on Sundays. Practical atheism is living like there's no God. I don't care about what your profession is. Practical atheism is, practically speaking, I don't really give much consideration to God or what he's doing. Here's the reason I bring it up. There are, uh, the passages that talk about um, money and possessions in the scriptures have this weird mark of practical atheism to them. Like that the problem that Jesus is trying to address in the lives of his followers is you guys are prone to practical atheism when it comes to your money and possessions. Look, remember that story that we started with in in, in Luke chapter 12, the rich fool, Uh, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. How did it produce plentifully, by the way? Is it just that he stood over the top of it and said, come on, you grow Or like they do these days with the plant. Plant, you are so good. I love you, plant. I think you're great. Here's a little more juice. I'm going to put some Kool-Aid in it next time. Grow up, plant. No, it, it, it happened because someone made it happen. But that's not mentioned in the story because why would it be? This guy's problem is he doesn't really think a lot of anybody else but himself. He thought to himself... All this stuff. Uh, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I will build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And just in case you didn't miss the fact that he only thinks that he's the one in the room. And I will say to my soul, Soul, he's addressing himself. I'm just going to say to you, Soul, yes. You, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink. Be merry. I mean, it's just like the, He's a practical atheist. There's evidence in his life that God exists. He got all the stuff, it's all there, it's been placed into his hands. He's a servant. He God's a master. But he doesn't think that way at all. He just thinks, I'm all my myself and everything is for me. (laughs) And then God ruins it. But God said to him, you idiot. This night, (laughs) I love this line. This night your soul, remember the guy you were just talking to? This night he is gonna be required of you. And the things you have prepared Whose will they be? Oh man, there's other people in the world and there's a God who exists. Your problem, rich fool, is that you're a practical atheist and your practical atheism is driving you to do things with your money and possessions that is wicked and foolish. I'll give you another one. Um, This is a passage in, in James chapter four. It's about planning, just listen to it. Um, James says, Come now, you who say, listen to what he's addressing. Uh, today or tomorrow, we're going to go into such and such a town. I don't pick your town. We're going to go to New York. And we're going to spend a year there. And we're going to trade there. And we're going to make a profit. That is basically every business plan I've ever seen in my life. That is the five-year plan. That's your vision board, man. It's on your wall. Here's what I'm going to do over the next little while. But you, you, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. It uh, could bring like a easy-to-transmit virus or something. What, what is your life? Look, you're a mist that appears for just a little time. You know, that fog that hangs over the valley in the mornings until the sun comes and burns it off. You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. See, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord will. See, the problem with your planning is you left someone out. I mean, you acted like you're in charge of the whole world. You think that you can do everything that you plan to do. And if it doesn't work out, it's because you didn't plan it right. No, no, no. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, your arrogance to believe that you're in charge of everything and all such boasting is evil. Do you see his point? Don't be a practical atheist in your planning. Don't be a practical atheist in your living. Don't be a practical atheist with your money and possessions. So, so, So we often use our money like practical atheists. We think we earned it by the sweat of our brow and by the wisdom of our excellent planning. But all we have is from God and to further God's interests. It's yours because he gave it to you for him. Or to put it another way, it's not yours. Last year when we first arrived here, in Chicago, uh, we didn't have a house to live in and so our dear brother, uh, he, he and his wife, loaned their house to us. <laughs> what a kind gift, right? It was, it's a beautiful home and so we moved in and uh, we were looking for a house or our houses were gonna be you know, closing in the next month or whatever and so I'm living in this house. I want you to for, imagine for a minute that uh, I'm in this house and I'm looking at one section of it and I'm thinking to myself, if you know what needs to go right there, a sauna. I need a sauna. So I go over and I start hitting the wall and I break down the wall and and I build a sauna. It's not a good sauna. I can't build anything, right? But it doesn't look good. But this is the sauna. I built it. He comes home one day and he shows up and he walks into the house and he looks and he said, what what is this? What did did you do? I built a sauna. This is my house. Isn't that what he's gonna say? It's my house. You you built this? You didn't even ask me? You didn't even think about me? my house does not exist for your interests jeff my house exists for my interests i don't want a stupid sauna yeah right and god's house exists for god's interests god's world exists for god's interests stop building saunas we have a, what we have is from our master supposed to be used for his interests okay so the last one uh, how we use what we've been given depends largely on how we view the giver. Did you guys notice that the difference basically between the one-talent guy and the two-and-five-talent guys was that the one-talent guy thought God was a hard man? Like his view of God was, oh, great, now you're putting me in a situation where I have to do something to try to please you with stupid duty. I don't wanna lose anything. so I'm gonna go in the back and I'm gonna bury it and then I'm gonna go do my own thing so that when you get back, I can just present it to you. I don't wanna do this. It's just, I can't believe that I'm in this situation. Whereas the other two guys, what? They went at once. Ooh, look at the grace that I've received from God. He didn't need to select me as the slave to have all of this stuff. He didn't need to place on top of me this responsibility, but look at how much he trusts and excited for me. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to respond to that grace with all of my effort. Two of the guys delighted in God. One of them thought it was a duty. Two of them thought God was a gracious and compassionate master, and one of them thought he was a hard, exacting, judging old man is it any wonder that they did different things given how they viewed the giver look just imagine as we finish all this imagine that uh, you're on you're on a ship uh you're going on maybe a cruise one of the bathrooms breaks and all the guy all the other people they're all sick cuz you know it's a cruise and covid so so the captain comes to you and says, I need you to go clean these toilets. You know what your attitude is going to be? Pay thousand dollars. How dare he? Let's imagine that the next day, I mean, you do clean the toilets, but the next day, uh, you, you guys are the big horn blows and you look down and there is a little raft and Tom Hanks is on it, right? So you're, you're, you're excited, cast away, and you found him. And so he comes up and he's kissing the deck and everyone's hugging him and oh my goodness. And he goes and he cleans up and he comes back out onto the deck and he's, he's so thankful. And the captain says, okay, we need to have the toilets cleaned again today. What does Tom Hanks do? Oh, I'll do it. Or if he's asked to do it, what is he gonna do? Okay. <laughs> At least I'm not on an island about to die. I can deal with toilets, man. Well, what's the difference between the attitude? Well, basically, what happened to them, the the, the attitude they had toward the work itself and the one who's asking them, because you think, well, you captain owe me a good trip, whereas Tom Hanks is like, you captain owe me nothing, you didn't need to pick me up, and here I am. Don't you see that the grace of God exploding in your heart will cause you to be a giver, to cause you to be a double the moneyer? You see that we end every week at the same place, right? I just want to convince you of God's goodness in your life. If you see him as magnificent and good beyond measure, it changes everything. So look, as you sit there, just think for a minute. How good is he? Like look back across your life. Do your own biography. Organize it however you like. and Think about your state and what's happened to you and the family that you have and the people who love you and the house you live in and the cars you drive. The faith that you have and the air that you breathe and all the different moments of your life that are held up by a loving God who adores you. He is so good. So now what do you want to do? Let me pray. Father, I'm thankful for your goodness, uh, your kindness to us. If there's anything, I mean, the Apostle Paul, he prayed it, right, that, that, that you may know how deep and wide and high is the love of Christ that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. Father, I, we pray about all the other stuff, all of the things we think our needs. Our real need is to see you as who you really are, a loving, gracious God who reached out of heaven, plucked us out, gave us a, a new name, sat us at your table, made us co-heirs with Christ, that our future is immeasurably bright regardless of our present circumstance, that you are carrying us along and all of life has a purpose and all of these, Lord, all because of you. So God, would you give us hearts that know that your, your goodness pursues us all the days of our lives and let that be the source of our response. We pray in Jesus' good name, Amen.